Hi everyone, and welcome to The Sweep, Southwest's exciting, energetic people. NAFAC Southwest's very own podcast coming at you from the beautiful San Diego, California. And we're here talking about what the command is all about. We'll hear stories from various people talking about their experiences around the command, along with entertaining, informative topics. NAFAC Southwest stands for Naval Facilities Engineering Command Southwest, and we plan, build, and maintain sustainable facilities, delivering environmental utilities and other critical base services. I'm Lynn Pence, your host, so let's get started. Um, so really happy that you guys are finally here. Um, a lot of our listeners and previous guests were very excited and wanted to know about our China Lake project. So Jennifer Lamas, I'm the Design and Engineering Director at NAFAC Southwest, and we have all of the designers, um, engineers, architects, geotech, interior design, and many, many more on our team. Okay. I'm Earl Estrella, the Design Production Director, uh, basically all of the engineers and architects in CI. Um, I'm focused on production of, of uh, designs uh, and uh, awarding of those uh, projects. Okay, great. So let's kick it off right here. How did we find out about the earthquake in China Lake? Well, I'll probably go first because I think I got the first call. <laughs> so, so it was on July 4th. Mm -hmm. And as many other people were, I was riding my bicycle downtown, just having a great old time. And all of a sudden I get a call from our deputy um, ops officer. Wow. And he said, um, we need someone to go out to China Lake. You know, there was an earthquake. I'm like, what? July 4th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, so right there, and then we were trying to figure out a way to get folks to go out there. We have uh, structural engineers, we have civil engineers, right. we have anyone who might be able to assist to kind of assess what the damages were. Okay. So we tried to gather up a damage assessment team with our local folks, and we were making a lot of phone calls into the wee hours of the night. Um, I was trying to watch the fireworks, but I was texting all the way through the fireworks. And I think we were texting up till after 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. that night. Oh, wow. Trying to get someone ready to go out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah just interestingly enough, um, Jennifer and I are both structural engineers. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of weird that um, this disaster happened uh, kind of on our watch. Because we knew once we heard about the earthquake, we're like, oh, six point, was it six point? Six point four. four. Six point four. We knew it was significant just by the number. Right. right, and just based on our education, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that that's something big that happened in the desert." So um, I was, I think, I was just either prepping for, um, you know, to watch fireworks as well. So we we weren't, we weren't really right. doing anything on a holiday, my yeah, goodness. we weren't really right? doing anything special. Yeah. But then we knew we knew that the, we we'd have to call in to make sure that um, we could support Channel Lake. So definitely, okay. you know, we knew that the magnitude once we once we learned of the number. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you mentioned the number. So how can you assess the damage based off of what you heard, based off of all the research and everything, you know, after that first couple of days or what, what can you tell our listeners about for, it? For example, like Loma Prieta was like uh, the magnitude of 6.8. So this was very close to that. Okay. Loma Prieta, you know, there was, there was a lot of damage to the, um, the Bay Bridge, to the double-decker um, highway in the Bay Area. Wow. So we knew that, wow, um, based on the the typical age of um, naval facilities, uh, we can't we can't sustain that kind of that kind of hit uh, with that magnitude earthquake. Wow! So, so we knew we knew something big was going to happen. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, what can you say about the base? Just everything. Um, what does the base do, and how significant of the damage uh, 
did it cause? Well, there's, they have a very um, important mission requirement mm -hmm. for the Navy. Um, they're one of the primary naval facilities that does research and development. Okay. And they have a lot of land, and their facilities are spread throughout the installation. Okay. So that was one of the issues and concerns we had was it is in a very concentrated area of buildings, so we knew that it was going to be a widespread assessment of which buildings were actually damaged. Right. We were really lucky that it did happen on a holiday because okay. there were not many people there. That's right. The first okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very important mission for, the base has a very important mission. They, they do all the testing for anything that gets launched off an aircraft or a ship, okay. uh, missile technology, things of that nature. So that, uh, interrupting that mission uh, was, you know, really impactful to the Navy. No, I, I understand that. And then yeah. we've, we hear about it through all the different NAFACs that this was significant. So, um, you know, Cap, uh, going along with that, um, I heard that there was a second one that hit as well. Um, what can you guys say about that? Yeah, so we had sent out some folks to actually look at the facilities, and they, right. were, they were almost done looking at what had been damaged, at least that they thought would be required to look at immediately. Okay. And it hit around like 8 o'clock on the Friday night. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. So I, I was personally in one of the restaurant somewhere in Fashion Valley and right. could feel something happening because we felt it all the way here. Okay. And we knew that it was big. Because if we were feeling it, then they were definitely feeling it in China Lake. Okay. So our first concern was, oh my gosh, we have people out there. You know, we better check on them. Check on them. And they were really scared, of course, okay. because it did happen. They went into their hotel rooms or, that they were staying at on base, and a lot of the drawers had opened up. Um, oh my there, gosh. There was stuff all over the place, so they were really concerned. And so far so concerned that a lot of them decided that they were going to actually pull their mattresses out and they wanted up sleeping outside because they weren't sure if there was going to be another aftershock. That's right. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so how did the Capital Improvements Department respond to this disaster? Oh, we had a lot of, you know, people willing to volunteer to put their self, themselves in harm's way to go out there to help the base do the assessments. I mean, it, it, there was not even any question about once, once the call went out for volunteers to do the damage assessment team. So what happens is when there's a major event, um, there's procedures that we follow right. uh, in accordance with, for example, the Applied Technology Council. There's, there's um, assessments that we do for safety. Okay. So pr the primary goal um, immediately after an event is to ensure that there's life safety uh, protocols in place. People are not entering facilities that can collapse. Okay. So we have to have these folks go out immediately we had a, a plethora of volunteers um, uh, um, volunteer. We met with our, our ops officer at the time, uh, Captain Scott, to coordinate right. the coordinate the the, um, the deployment of our folks. And so it was it was just very it was very um, it was very pleasant to see that you know we didn't we didn't, we weren't starved for volunteers. There were right. a lot of people who were willing to do it. So that's it's pretty much we we had an immediate response. I think I think. Uh, the morning, the next morning, early, like 6, okay. they, they were on the road. Wow. They were on the road to China Lake. Okay. I was going to say we set up a like a tree within our texting immediately okay. when the first event happened, within right. all of our supervisors within Capital Improvements. Okay. And we were trying to figure out who could go out for the first damage, damage assessment team. And then we had the need to have folks go out after the second earthquake. And when we were doing that, it was very difficult because a lot of people were on vacation. 
over that weekend. That's right. So we were talking to people who were with their families. Um, we were trying to figure out who was going to be able to come back when. We okay. had to set up several damage assessment teams. Okay. Um, I think we went at least five or six. At the, I think we may have even had more. And so one team would go out. They would stay. They would work you know, on site to do some damage assessments. We would okay. have another team on the way. Right. And it was kind of like one after another that we're going out to try and look at the facilities. Okay. Um, so that's what Earl's talking about as far as the volunteers, because we would set up a team of multidiscipline engineers to okay. the greatest extent possible. And it required a lot of folks to kind of stop what they were doing, whether it's personal, family, vacation, travel, as well as their workload, and try to travel out there to do those assessments. Okay. So could you give an example of the assessments that you guys were doing in the beginning as far as assessing the damage? Yeah. What? Sure. Um, so the, the general procedure is um, the, the structural engineers would go out and they would just do a visual inspection of the facility and look for major things, major indicators that the building is um, compromised for okay. in terms of stability. So if there's, if there's a cracking of a, of a certain nature, okay. of a certain size, if there's... Um, uh, indications of displacements where the building is leaning or things of that nature or even falling hazards because like a lot of the a lot of the observations that they made was had there been people in the building a lot of the ceiling a lot of the lights okay. just collapsed so oh, somebody wow. would have got killed or hurt definitely badly during right. that during that event so they look at those things they look at the obvious things and then um that's the that's the, the initial survey and then they'll tag the building whether it's red for the restricted Yellow, that's A, you can go in and grab some important things and then bail, or green, that you can you can continue to operate okay. in that building. So okay. those are the three major placards that are put on the building. That you guys look for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and to kind of talk about what Earl was saying about things kind of being all over the place. When you right. walk in the buildings, there were bookshelves that were falling over, file cabinets that were opened up and stuff had come out. There were wow. file cabinets that had hopped across the floor. Mm -hmm. The cubicles in some of the office spaces, wherever there's overheads, right. some of the stuff had fallen out of the overheads. And there's no doubt that folks would have been hurt. Hurt or injured in some way yeah. if like, if that was, everybody was working or everybody was right there. Right. right. Okay. Yeah, um, I think one of the, one of the things that is, is uh, interesting to note is that when you have a six uh, point whatever earthquake and a seven, the, the energy released by the earth is, is logarithmic. So it's 10 times the energy for that seven that happened on the six. So the six was bad. So when the seven hit, it was worse. You know, and it's also, it's also depending on the, the, the characteristics of the, of, the, of the earthquake, whether if it was a, you know, one of these things, kind of a, a strike slip or a subduction where the earth goes up and down. Actually, this one had a little bit of both. This had a, this action and this action. And we actually went out to the site and saw this big, I stood next to it, Jen despite um, Jennifer and, and, and our chief engineer's, you know, um, warnings, I went up to the, to the actual where the earth displaced, and it was taller than me. And I'm 5'8", I'm I'm and it was, it was taller than me. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. yeah, we saw a fissure that had happened in the ground visually when we went out there, and it was a water line, I think, right? It was a water line, yeah. yeah. And it had run down the, the trench that was opened up, and it had sheared so much that it looked like it was like this. Jagged. It was or... jagged instead of straight across. And that was a really big water line as well. Yes. So just to wow. see that that could happen. Then they also had roads that heaved okay. um, up to six feet, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And so they had roads that had moved both vertically and they had moved also um, excuse me, horizontally and also vertically. My goodness, that's, I mean, you describing it, I mean, I haven't really fully experienced an earthquake myself, but you felt the trickles down here. I could only imagine, like, how would that feel being right there in the epicenter of the whole damage and everything? Um, so I also want to understand that budgeting was done in record time. So how was that accomplished? So I guess first, um, when we had our personnel from our in-house team go out to do the assessments, we knew that there were so many buildings. There's over 1,300 buildings that okay. had to be looked at. So we contracted with an A&E firm, an architectural engineering firm, okay. um, that was structurally based in their, their profession okay. to go, go out and help us. And they were very skilled at the FEMA standards okay. for emergency response for earthquakes. So they were trying to assist us with going through the buildings to assess the damage and to okay. determine whether or not, as Earl had said, it's red, yellow, or green for occupancy after the earthquake events. Okay. Um, so that was kind of our first step, was to get that firm out there to help us. And when we originally assessed the buildings, we had to identify on the safety assessment sheets that we were working on what damages actually had occurred. Okay. And we took that information and put that into a master spreadsheet based upon the facility number to determine whether it was red, yellow, or green, and then also what kind of damages had had been sustained by that earthquake for that facility. So when we say record time, what is how long did that take? Um, well, we had to do the cost as right. well. So um, we were in rooms kind of throughout here in this building that we're at now, and we were sequestered to try to develop the costs associated with that. Okay. And we had to originally assess whether or not it was going to be a quick repair or if we were going to have to upgrade or replace a facility based upon the number, the amount of damage that we saw okay. on the forms that we got back. Right. Um, that, I think we spent about a solid week mm -hmm. um, of late nights trying to figure that out. Right. In the meantime, we realized that some of these buildings were going to have to be replaced, and we decided mm -hmm. that we needed to actually do programming documents for what we call military construction projects. Okay. And those projects um, require congressional approval, and you have to do very detailed um, planning documentation in order to submit them. Wow. So to bring the A&E or the architectural engineering firm on board for that um, required, of course, other contract actions. So we had two A&E firms working with us to okay. help develop scope and cost. Good, great. And I would say that... Um, that whole process, the first submission, we had the earthquake in July, and our first submission for the military construction projects was in September, October-ish, like yeah, the beginning like of October, I think, was when we first submitted our documentation. Okay. And that's just unheard of. Because yes. <laughs> normally... That's what I've been told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah normally it's a three- to five-year cycle. Right. Just to get the... The whole programming stuff done. And I think I think just for perspective, isn't our our typical throughput like a billion dollars per year, right? For the the entire NAFAC Southwest. Okay. Okay. This this program, this re recovery, wasn't it three billion, including the repairs? All close. Like three billion, you know, in a, in that period of time. So rather than the entire NAFAC ge geographical area per year of one billion, right. we did three billion. You know, in 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 a matter of weeks. So, wow. and that that was that's just crazy. Yeah, that's unheard of. Apparently, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, we were having Sunday meetings. You know, yeah. it was going really really fast. Wow. 
I mean, as it should have, and, yeah. and it, your efforts apparently did very well. Yeah. Um, okay, so how big did the program get, and was it mostly completely new replacement facilities? Yes, mostly yeah. new replacement, I would say. We definitely have a lot of repair projects, okay. um, but those are smaller value. Okay. Um, those are you know, funded through a separate program for the okay. Milcon program. It's over $2 billion worth of wow. Milcon yeah. program. Okay. And I guess the way we did it was... Um, Early on, there was uh, a desire not to just um, repair it as, as fast as possible. Well, actually, that's not the right thing to say. We wanted to do it smartly. Okay. Because over time, the, the base, you know, it, it, was, it was founded in the 1930s. And so oh, wow. it, okay. through, through a hodgepodge of additions and, and mission changes, it kind of evolved from there. And so it wasn't really operating in the most efficient way. So now with the earthquake, it gave us the opportunity, hey, let's repair it, but let's repair it smartly. Let's, let's consolidate functions where they, weren't, they were miles away before or right. whatever, that kind of thing. So it, it was definitely you know, beneficial that at least we had, we had the talent on board to do that versus it wasn't just blindly, hey, let's just throw money at it and fix it. It was trying to do it, fix it fast, but fix it smart. Okay, efficiently. So, mm -hmm. Okay, great. No, that's great to, to know that yeah. your team was able to accomplish something like that. Is, is there still ongoing repairs right now? Oh, yes. yes. We, we still are awarding, okay. soliciting and awarding projects now, okay. and we'll be continuing to do that all the way through FY21. Wow. And there okay. are still daily aftershocks, even now. They, they report really? aftershocks daily, yes, uh, on China Lake. Is that, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys will be the right pe people to ask, but is, there, is that just a concentrated area for certain natural disasters to happen in that area? or Not typically in the past, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But the epicenter was, you know, in, in China Lake. Yeah. Right. Um, so the majority of the damage that occurred with right. those earthquakes was actually on China Lake. Okay. And the surrounding area had some damage, but it wasn't as significant as okay. it was on the yeah. installation. It, it was a previously unmapped fault. Right. It was unknown at the time. So, wow. it, it, you know, it just all of a sudden, here, here's, here's a new fault to, to study. And so. Wow. Yeah, definitely excited the USGS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they actually went out on site and they put their size mom, you know, seismometers, size seismometers yeah. Yeah. <laughs> out throughout the areas. And they right. were mapping it um, to try to determine where the faults were exactly and, okay. and how much displacement had actually occurred. And, and I would say to add on to what Earl was talking about, about doing the consolidation, we shifted facilities to sites that made more sense okay. for the operations. And in order for us to actually do this programming as fast as we did, right. we had to have a lot of engagement, both from leadership here within our organization, as well as up through the NAFAC chain, okay. all the way up to NAFAC headquarters. And we had to get the region and um, our Commander and Naval Installations Command involved as well. Just we, everybody on board. Right. Yeah. And we also had a very, um, you know, one of the strongest clients and largest clients and tenants that's on the NOS China Lake activity wow. is NOCWD, um, which is with Nav Air. And okay. that Weapons Command is the primary, I guess, building occupant of the, of the installation, as I mentioned. So they were heavily engaged. Okay. Even though there are folks sit down at China or over at China Lake normally, they actually would come here and stay you know, overnight 
And they wow. they had multiple people here during the duration of the programming process, and they still come here to this day to meet with us when we can meet together in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're continuously on the phone with us. We have meetings constantly. So we wouldn't have been able to do it all without everyone kind of, kind of huddling together to try and work this through. And our AE partners as well. Um, if we hadn't had them on board and as willing to participate in the process and willing to pull their resources to actually create the documentation, it would have been quite a challenge. Wow. And I mean, what I, based off of what you guys are telling me and you know what we're talking about, I just love the whole dedication and the fact that people are really pulling together and coming together for a good cause. And that it was done so fast, so efficiently, as Earl mentioned, you know, you guys wanted to do it smart and not just throw money at it. You know, it just shows the kind of people that NAFAC has is that, you know, you guys are dedicated, that you are wanting to help and have a bigger cause, uh, you know, a, a bigger impact on something. And it, it shows, it definitely shows because I am brand new here. And the fact that that's all I hear about is China Lake and the efforts that you guys have put in. So kudos to you guys and your team. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, some other questions I kind of wanted to know about was, how are you going about getting the design and construction awarded as soon as possible? Um, I know you briefly mentioned that, so please. Yeah, I think that um, one of the key factors is the, the Jennifer mentioned our consultants. Um, they were able to put together the, the contracts in such a way that it, it, it kind of reduced a lot of the risk. And the t- typical risks that we have with projects is scope development and making sure that the, the project has all the requirements in it. For the amount of time we to, to get this thing out and at least get to the point where we could advertise, right. uh, you know, I, I, I could confidently say it was, it was a 90% or higher product than we would typically get. And so they did that in record time. So we had a, a, an A1 um, consultant. We had top-notch folks on our end managing that. Okay. Um, you know, with, with uh, very experienced folks. We had a, a lot of our senior folks who've not only dealt with China Lake, but have done a lot of um, um, projects for us, uh, executed projects for us. Okay. So that all together um, really helped expedite is there anything you would like to add, Jennifer, um, to based on what Earl was saying? Um, yeah, we also had a structural engineering firm. So okay. one of the decisions that we made was that we were going to split the services that we were receiving because we knew that the volume of workload was tremendous. Okay. And we tried to have one firm working on the military construction projects okay. some, and now some of the larger repair projects. And then we had the other firm working on some of the more uh, the smaller repair projects. Okay. And the repair projects, I would say, were probably the most um, they evolved over time because as they started to look at new facilities, they would find out, hey, we really need you to come look at this one because we think that it also might have some damages that we may not have experienced or saw before. Right. Right. And um, then we also have aftershocks. So even though we may have looked at something once. It may look different after you know time has gone by because there may be additional damages that were a result of aftershocks. Wow. And I think one of the things that we recognized as well and the, the firms that we were working with was when we had one event, that's bad enough. Okay. You know you're going to have damage. But when you have those that age of facility sustain two major events right after wow. the, right after each other, right. it was already compromised the first time, and then the second time made the facilities even more compromised. 
Um, so it was very important for us to try and continue on with those contracts and those partnerships with the AEs to make sure that we fully recover China Lake to its operational capability. Good, good. That's great to hear. Um, so how in the world are you integrating the emergent work with your current workload and vacancies? Because I know that this isn't just the only project um, on your hands for NAFAC Southwest. So please explain to our listeners. how. I would say first and foremost, we have a lot of dedicated folks on our team. Yes. I mean, we have, as I mentioned before, we have every type of architectural um, engineer, like I said, landscape architect, geotechnical, interior design, mm -hmm. anything that is required for a facility to be constructed or even utilities, we have on our team. And every person is willing to pitch in and spend whatever extra, extra time they need to help us get through our program of record. Okay. So there's a lot of overtime. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> discretionary effort, as Earl says, um, mm -hmm. where folks you know, are very... They feel dedicated to their work, dedicated to our team, and we have a lot of camaraderie with our workforce. Good. So I think that helps us yeah, get through it. Definitely, I think that uh, you know, as as managers and leaders, we have to we we made a point to recognize that the effort that our folks were putting forth to, to support the program, in addition to the regular work that they have on their plate. So that kind of acknowledgement of their efforts, and then okay. also willingness to work with them on, on schedules, on overtime, things of that nature, really kind of resonated with the folks and they really um, stepped up to put in the extra effort. We still struggle okay. uh, occasionally because of uh, the current workload. We're still getting more, more workload coming in, right. but we're, 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 we're trying to stay afloat. We're, Good. <laughs> it, it's everybody's game for Everybody, <laughs> everybody's trying to stay afloat. Right? Right. <laughs> And well. we did increase the number of personnel that we needed as far as the oh, staffing good. is concerned. Right. Um, we're still trying to recruit. Yes, um, we're, hi we're hiring. We're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> I know that every engineer that you mentioned, I was like, I, re I recognize those titles. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for civil engineers, structural engineers, right. mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, right. geotech, everybody. You know, every everyone um, to help with the effort. Because um, we have vacancies for our normal workload, and then we also have the vacancies that we needed to fill for the China Lake. China Lake. And we're trying to manage that with the folks that we have on board now. So anytime we need, we bring someone else on board, it relieves some of the workload on the folks that have already been working on the projects. Exactly. Oh, okay, great. There, you heard it from our two engineers here. You know, they're recruiting as well. <laughs> um, so how about the lessons you've learned? share um, with this whole effort, basically. Take your time, please <laughs> do. Enlighten our listeners. <laughs> probably, probably preparedness of, of the installations, just kind of, you know, it was a lot of, you know, general quarters running around, hair on fire, you know, kind of in the early stages of this. And, you know, some of the, some of the basic even a, a basic building list, right, for, for China Lake. Where is that? Who has that? You know, it was kind of a little bit of a, not a struggle, but it, it was a little bit of hair on fire in the beginning. So a little I bit. Bet. I can a, only a imagine. Probably more planning. I think we used to have a group that um, dealt with um, these kind of natural disasters. Right. And then I think it was, um, I think um, it was either absorbed or dissolved or mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it doesn't, I forgot the name, the contingency group, I guess, contingency engineering group. There was actually a group that did this type, type of stuff. Oh, wow. So, so capital improvements in this case, because of the lack of that particular entity, 
had to take this on, you know, as, as the primary folk, as a primary focal point for it, for the effort. Okay. And so it, it's a little bit, um, we're, we're playing a little bit of catch up on kind of um, that, 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 uh, that role and really preparedness, I think, to from going from as fast as possible from the assessment to a project, okay. you know, that kind of laying that out. We, I think we did a pretty solid job of doing it in this case, but it was kind of by necessity versus by planning. Got it. Right? So I think uh, probably in the future, getting a, a better plan in place. You know, I think uh, Jennifer and I talked about, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to have teams like every quarter identified. So we're, when a, a disaster hits, and it will, because right. it's earthquake, it's California, um, that we already know who those people are. Okay. So we're not scrambling around trying to do phone trees and stuff like that on who we're going to call, right? It's going to be, okay, this is this is team A, this is quarter one, team B, whatever, okay. that kind of thing um, going forward. So I think that's kind of, for me, that's one of the lessons I saw as, as obvious. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we're used to responding to, oh, can you come take a look at this? There's a power okay. outage or um, we're worried about this mezzanine. Is it going to collapse? You know, we have the one-off requests constantly, and we do those on consultation. But okay. this massive effort where we had to have so many people engaged and respond at once is kind of what Earl's talking about and trying to identify those individuals that have the capability, okay. the capacity, and the willingness to kind of drop everything to go out if an event ever happens again. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I think one of the other things, though, too, was um, – the like kind of setting up for the safety of personnel. Okay. Um, I think that that's the first and foremost priority for all of us, right. you know, in an, in an event like that or, or you know, in the day to day operation. So trying to set up something and have a plan in place for making sure that the area is cleared um, for folks to follow and go in to do the inspections, um, making sure that they know, you know, they need to bring water. It's really hot out at Child Lake. You need to have sunscreen. You need to have sun protection. We were, we were all talking about that all the way along through the process when they were going out and inspecting the facilities. Good. I, I kind of want to know, too, what is life like in China Lake right now? Um, you know, after what it's been a year, I guess you would say, how is everybody operating right now? I would say they're, they, would, they would probably say they're not operating at full capacity um, because they won't be at full capacity until we complete the military construction projects. Right. They've built temporary facilities or put up temporary facilities. Um, eventually, they might have to demolish some of the facilities. Oh, wow. um, they're, they're trying to optimize their operations to you know, kind of work around the situation that they have now. Okay. But they're, they're not going to be able to be at 100% until we're all done. Okay. Uh, lastly, what do you see as the greatest uh, success of this whole project? For me, it was the... the the responsiveness and the teaming right. um, and the, the speed and the agility that we had. Um, it was fascinating to watch. Was it a surprise or was it like you knew these people could do this in time? I personally wasn't surprised, okay. um, but I know that helping and solving problems and it energizes a lot of the team members that we have on you know, our team. We have you know, a suite of folks who that's kind of what we went to school for, right? Like solving a problem. I was going to say, you guys <laughs> yeah. are engineers, right? Right, right. So yeah. when an event like this happens, you know, you get to use your skill sets that you've developed over your career, and I think that that was one of the benefits of 
having such a large group. Mm-hmm. And I would say in the past, we were um, separated into separate groups as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we had different teams based upon the group of installations. And this event happened not that far after, maybe a year or so mm-hmm. after we had all consolidated into one huge, large engineering and architectural wow. group. And it was much easier for us to respond to this event because we had all of the resources consolidated together. It would have been far more difficult and challenging to try and cross-coordinate with other groups <laughs> if we had to go as fast as we did. And also balancing the consultants that you also hired, right? Right, right. yeah. If we, we have a contracts team here at NAFAC Southwest, and without their willingness to be, you know, in, you know, have ingenuity and be agile and, and responsive, um, we wouldn't be able to do that either. Um, so it was very helpful. How about you, Earl? Do you have anything that you would like to say as far as the greatest success um, for this whole project? Oh, yeah, I kind of just echoing what Jennifer said. Um, really um, working with our clients, working with our, the, the end user, the base. You know, on a typical project, when, it, when, it, when it's uh, developed and executed, there's a lot of problems that come up. Right. And you know we're good. We're great at problem identification and slowing the process down. In this case, once a project was daylighted, collectively the group just was so laser focused on solving oh, the problem. Right. right. So it was just boom. It wasn't. It wasn't posturing. None of that. None of the typical things that happen on a project occurred here. No posturing. No hidden agendas. It was just everybody knew they were. Mission impacted. Right. You have to get them mission capable as soon as possible, and let's work the problem. So it was very, very like, kind of reminding me of that movie. Um, what was it Apollo thirteen? Right. Where everybody was just like, hey, let's get these guys down from the you know from orbit because they're gonna die. You know because uh, right. You know it's the kind of same thing. It was wow. like everybody was laser focused on the solution. Problems come up, boom, solution versus the way we normally. Are. So if we can kind of you know take that attitude and and kind of you know have that permeate. On other projects, that'd be awesome. You know, it's just kind of, but this one is kind of founded in the whole disaster thing. So it was, right. everybody was, there was a different kind of motivation in this. Even if everybody is all, you know, mom and apple pie on our regular <laughs> mission on making right. sure that the defense, you know, we, we support our Marine Corps warfighters and lethality and, 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 and everything else. But right. I think on, on this particular case, because um, of their current mission, that that was the, the the greatest thing that I that I observed in, in this whole process. So, wow, that's yeah. that's very interesting to hear. Yeah. Nice. Um, how long have you guys been at NAFAC? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me see. Let me calculate. I've been with NAFAC for twenty six, but with the government twenty eight. Okay. Yeah. How yeah. about you, Earl? Twenty nine. I started oh, in. You 90. guys are veterans here. Oh, yeah. You guys know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started in ninety one, where where everybody. I knew everybody in 127, and there was no outbuild. Those outbuildings were like empty. I think it was storage. <laughs> so everybody who worked at NAFAC Southwest was in building 127, <laughs> and I knew everybody. So yeah. And when I first got here, um, I shared a cubicle with Earl, and I sat at a desk. Right. When I started here, I was a, a cooperative student intern, is what they used to call him at the time. Okay. So I was still in school, mm-hmm. and yeah. Earl was my mentor. Oh wow. That's and now she's good. my boss. See? I know. <laughs> Join NASA. There you go. <laughs> you too can be her. <laughs> um, so is there any last words that you would like to say to our audience um, as far as China Lake or your time here at NAFAC? Yeah, I, you know what? Um, you know, when I 
becoming an engineer and kind of going through school and going through that education, you know, you become an engineer for certain reasons. You know, you want to you solve problems. You want to, you know, just run calcs, whatever. <laughs> NAFAC has, you know, the nice thing about NAFAC just throughout my 29 years here is that there's so much diversity in what you could do here. You, right. you can, you can be, yes, you can, you can go and just go in the corner and do calcs all day long, or you can, you can go check out like missile testing facilities and help them, you know, you know, build facilities for the future, for the future defense of this country. I mean, oh my gosh. And you can, I actually had opportunities to even ride and ride on certain military, wow. um, like a, a LCAC or a, or a, carrier and watch carrier ops you know close up wow this this position affords you those opportunities especially when you're so you're so close to the mission when the mission is so dependent upon facilities i mean people don't think facilities ah facilities you know how does that relate to a a warfighter but it's it's critically important in in ship maintenance in training Mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature that that once we accomplish our mission, there's a lot of like good karma that comes out of that, you know. So, and as an engineer, seeing that closure from a, a, a concept, oh, I gotta fix, I gotta build a building, to seeing the building built and being used, it's very, it's very satisfying, as as that. And so it's not so, something typical you would see um, in the in the private sector where you don't kind of see that cradle to grave. You know, normally in the private sector, you get a project assigned to you or whatever. The, the firm, the firm wins a project. You you you, you finish the project and you're done. Versus you were at the infancy of the project and it's like, oh, I I was there when they were thinking about it. You know, that oh wow. So that's kind of that's kind of nice. That's kind of what that's I guess that's my parting thought about NAFAC and why I really enjoy working here. Thank you, Earl. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Jennifer? <laughs> Uh, I've always been asked, like, how could you possibly be at one place for that long? And it's kind of what Earl said, you have so much opportunity. Um, you could do many different things. There's all kinds of job opportunities to either move laterally or you could try to do a promotion. If you want to stay technical, you could stay technical. If you want to go into management or leadership, you could go in that direction. Okay. There's leadership development programs. There's a lot of training avail- available. They're constantly trying to improve community management so that we can improve our skill sets. So. That part in itself is very valuable. Um, the diversity, not of just the workload, but also of the people, okay. is amazing. I mean, I don't think you would find that in many other agencies. Not just diversity in people, but also diversity in types of work that we do. We have biologists, chemists. Um, we have people who graduated business. We have people who right. have graduated in um, natural resources, historian type stuff, or in archaeology. You know, we have the engineers, architects. Um, we have human resources. <laughs> we have communications degrees. We have—I mean—it is a wide array of disciplines and um, possibilities um, for anyone who's interested in working with NAFAC. Um, we also get questioned of, "What do you mean you work for the Navy? Are you what are you? Are you an officer? Are you enlisted?" We're like, right. "No, we're civilians, and you know we've been with the agency for our entire career. That does not happen anymore." I recently took a retirement class, a mid-career supposedly retirement class, <laughs> and we still have a pension. You know, who has a pension now? So there's a the lot benefits. of the benefits. The right. benefits. The benefits are great, and if you have, uh, if you want to have balance within NAFAC, right? Um, it's very easy to have balance because we all know that that's one of the reasons why we want to work here is that we all care about each other and we want to make sure that we're not only 
hard workers, but we're also um, spending a lot of time with our families or doing whatever it is that we want to do outside of our work. So we support the mission and we all have a common goal. Yeah, yes, a lot of balance. That's great. All right. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Earl, for joining us here finally <laughs> and, you know, kind of explaining to our listeners what happened in China Lake. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of The Sweep. If you want to know more about NAFAC Southwest, check out our website at nafac.navy.mil forward slash swcareers. We have a lot of exciting new opportunities to join the team and learn about all the great things we do to help our facilities. Join us again soon for another episode, and we'll see you on the next one.